Well, welcome back once again, everybody, to Sex and Couples Therapy with the Happy Ending Therapist. I'm Donna Harris-Richards, LICSW and CST, that's Licensed Social Worker and Certified Sex Therapist. I'm your sex-positive sex couples and family therapist here today. We're going to be talking about more myth-busting in sex and couples therapy. Um, and I'm here with my lovely producer, Vicki. How are you, Vicki? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Um, I did want to talk a little about, a little bit, acknowledge uh, a bit about um, National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month in July. Um, and we're going to touch on that for a few minutes uh, before we get into more of our myths. Um, but first, I'd like to state my mission, if that's cool with you, which is um, to help individuals, you know, the mission of sex and couples therapy is to help individuals, couples, and families embrace and integrate sex-positive thinking into daily life for optimal health, including sexual health and wellness. Because to be human is to be sexual at the core, right? And, you know, the idea of being intimate with others and, and having fun and pleasure, right? So we go for annual mammograms, gynecological exams, prostate exams for our physical sexual health. We owe ourselves checkups on the emotional and mental aspects of sexual health for optimal health and wellness. So that's the mission here, just to have lots of fun and pleasure and best quality life we can have. So I wanted to, oh, excuse me, I'm going to have to, <coughs> me, 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 one of those, clear the throat. Um, so <laughs> before, before we dive into the myths today, um, just want to talk a little bit about July being National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, and as a, you know, as a therapist, a sexual health advocate, family health advocate, and mental health advocate, I have a responsibility to center the voices of people who don't have privilege to benefit from equality, equity, and social justice as deserved. So um, it's both professional and personal, as it ought to be, you know, in terms of what it is that I want to put out there. Um, we also, in June, just quickly as an aside, celebrated Juneteenth, right, on June 19th, which is um, the end of slavery. So that's something that I want to put out there and acknowledge, and it's a federal holiday now. Um, it was a federal holiday on Monday, June 20th this year. Um, but back to National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month, um, I want to talk a little bit about the history of it. Um, it was sort of uh, developed because of a, a woman named B.B. Moore Campbell, and um, on June 2nd, 2008, Congress formally recognized B.B. Moore Campbell National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month to bring awareness to the unique struggles that underrepresented groups face in regard to mental illness in the U.S. So who's B.B. Moore Campbell, right? So she was an American black female author, journalist, teacher, and mental health advocate, and best-selling author, by the way. She wrote Brothers and Sisters, uh, Singing in the Comeback Choir, and What You Owe Me. And she worked really tirelessly to shed light on the mental health needs of the black community and other represented communities. Um, so she struggled, actually her personal story is that she struggled to support her daughter who battled with mental illness in a system that prevented her daughter from getting help and support. So she founded NAMI in, in Inglewood, I believe California, National Alliance of Mental Illness, um, in a predominantly black neighborhood to create a space that was safe for black people to talk about mental health concerns. Um, and of course, you know, as we know, mental health conditions don't discriminate based on race, color, gender, or identity. I mean, anyone can experience the challenges of mental illness regardless of, you know, their background, culture, ethnicity, etc. Um, 
background and identity can make access to mental health treatment much more difficult. So that's why this is so important. With significantly higher rates of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, suicidality, homelessness, bullying, abuse. And, you know, this, of course, affects us all in society. Um, and, you know, I wanted to also define what it means in terms of, you know, we have these phrases, right? Um, you know, those who are challenged or considered um, underrepresented can be folks who are BIPOC, sorry, blah, 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 blah. BIPOC, B-I-P-O-C, um, LGBTQIA+, um, you know, the Asian community as well. And so BIPOC, what does that stand for? Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. Um, LGBTQIA+, uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, and allies. Um, and and uh, the Asian community, you know, there's a great website if folks want to donate. Um, it's Stop aapi.org. So stop, let's see, let me make sure I'm getting it right. It's stopaapihate.org, which is Asian American and Pacific Islanders. That's AAPI. So really important to, to go on these sites. You can go on nami.org. You can go on that site I just named. Um, you can go on, you know, NAACP. You can go on the, uh, actually, there's a BIPOC in, Intentional Communities Fund, which is www.ic.org, supporting black, indigenous, and people of color um, in joining, forming, and developing intentional communities. Um, and the fund is managed by an all-BIPOC council. So lots of places you can go on, you can volunteer, you can just start talking about this too and become an advocate. I think that's really important. So um, people of color can include the following, you know, black, brown, or African-American people. Um, East Asian people, which is, you know, folks from China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Macau, Japan, Mongolia, Korean people, the Latino community, Latino, Latina, Latinx, um, South Asian communities, and those include people from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, Bhutan, the Maldives, Sri Lanka, and um, Hawaiian and other Pacific Islander communities like uh, Native Hawaiians, Samoans, Fijians, Tongans, and Tahitians. So, you know, it's such a rich and, and culturally diverse um, bunch of communities. And it's just so important for people to have access to good quality mental health care. Um, and also, you know, sexual minorities, right? This is a, according to Dr. Elizabeth Hartney, she's a, <clears throat> excuse me, psychologist, professor, and director of the Center for Health Leadership um, at the Royal Roads University in Canada. Um, she says sexual minorities are groups of people whose sexual orientation, gender identity, or sexual characteristics are different from the presumed majority of the population, which are heterosexual, cisgender, non-intersex individuals. Um, so it's very important for us to provide access to uh, all folks, uh, including gender minorities, uh, including those who identify as gender fluid. I mean, I say minority, but, you know, they're people, and they're people that need to be supported. Uh, and those include folks who label themselves or identify themselves as gender fluid, non-binary, gender queer, gender non-conforming, gender expansive, gender creative, gender diverse, or people who are transmasculine, transfeminine, intersex people, those are folks born with ambiguous sex characteristics, not easily categorized. So um, in the end, I just sort of want to wrap this up with this quote from Peggy McIntosh. Um, 
who wrote the book White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. Uh, she defines privilege as a right, immunity, or benefit enjoyed only by a person beyond the advantages of most and, quote, as unearned power conferred systematically. So if you're born, you know, like I'm, I'm born white, I'm cisgender uh, female, and, um, you know, I just sort of, I didn't earn this privilege, right? I, I just was born with it. So it's very important to create equity and, and justice for folks who are not born uh, with this white privilege. And so critical. And so that's why I'm very happy that we have this National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month in July. And we celebrate Juneteenth and all that great stuff, right? All righty. So um, from there, would it be all right, Vicki, to dive into more myth busting? Yes. She's shaking her head. Yes. Absolutely. Shaking her head. You got a nice. Sorry, I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. And you've got good color. I like it. Very good. Um, very healthy. Uh, all right. So more myth busting. So we did a couple of podcasts on um, myths in um, sex and couples therapy, family therapy around, you know, health and mental health and sexual health and all that good stuff. So I wanted to follow up because there are so many um, and they are connected, I think, to the assumptions that people make, the mind reading that goes on in relationships. Um, and so it, it starts with examining these assumptions and sort of what I call or we call as therapists core beliefs and then doing something different to get something different, right? So if we explore these core beliefs and realize, oh, wow, that's just a message I was given because of, you know, my religious affiliation or, you know, a, a message in the family system, et cetera, right? And, and I learn that maybe that's not actually true. I can start to have a different experience, which would be really great. Um, so, so some of uh, the myths I wanted to talk about today, for example, are this one I hear quite often, which is, you know, my partner and I can never heal after an affair, right? Or, or it'll just be nearly impossible. And, and that, I'm happy to say, isn't true. Um, of course, what's really important is how much desire there is to heal, uh, you know, how much desire there is to get the relationship uh, back to one where um, folks can actually, believe it or not, I know this is hard for people to imagine, but can see the problem of the affair as an opportunity and almost be grateful in a way that it happened. Not that, again, that I recommend or condone it, but it can be a problem that leads to a much richer uh, experience for a couple, meaning that they can develop themselves in new ways. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, do you find that um, sometimes when couples are able to see it as an opportunity, it's because maybe it's something consistent that, you know, one partner in their relationship had been asking for, asking for, asking for, and that's kind of what drove it. Like, is, is that how there's an opportunity, like kind of getting to the root of it and, and seeing how it unfolds? Or is it more mm -hmm. just an opportunity for growth? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. Even in two people agreeing, okay, we're going to go to therapy or we're going to work through this, you know, it shows... Uh, the partner who has not had the affair, um, that their partner is willing to do this, is willing to now talk about it, open up about it, become vulnerable. It's very scary for people. Um, it's scary to be sort of told, 
you know, what, what you did wrong or where you went wrong or, or how you hurt the other person, right? So yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Just in saying, yes, I'm willing to work on this with you, honey, there's healing right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's uh, the idea is that I think in a fair, you know, if you've made an agreement that you are going to be monogamous in a relationship or have fidelity, you know, an affair is a breaking of that agreement, right? I mean, we could talk about, you know, how people do polyamorous relationships. That's different. But when you've got a, uh, an agreement, uh, you know, Im implicitly, explicitly with your partner that it's just two people and then you break that agreement and have an affair, um, it's, it's, a, it's a withdrawal, right? So, you know, we've talked about pursuers and withdrawers. Um, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for the withdrawer then to uh, be able to talk to and um, do something different with their partner, come to their partner, be more open, um, allow themselves to be vulnerable, take a risk, uh, be more authentic. And it's an opportunity for the other partner, the one who didn't have the affair, to look at what happened to set the stage that, you know, that this occurred. Um, not that that person is responsible that the affair happened, but um, th there's always, uh, you know, two people are always sort of a part of what, what went on, if that makes sense. And so exploring that is the opportunity to look at what the problem was and then let's get in and solve the problem. So Absolutely. there is hope and people can heal. So I really want people to hear that loud and yeah. clear, you know, um, yeah. Okay. So that's the first myth. Uh, uh, the next one I wanted to chat a little bit about is this idea that uh, some people believe if my partner is not willing to fulfill my fantasy, right, my sexual fantasy or romantic fantasy, they must not love me. Um, and that's yeah. just not true. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh because, you know, um, it's so familiar. It's so a part of who we all are and maybe what a lot of us think. Um, so it, it just might mean that your partner is not into mm -hmm. that. And that doesn't mean they don't love you. It just isn't something they can tolerate or not. they're not into. I mean, I do say to folks, hey, it's really important to be able to say yes and try certain things because if you don't try stuff, right, like food, you know, if I never tried eel, maybe I wouldn't know that I liked it, right? Uh, I might think to myself, oh, that's really gross. But um, try it, you know, try it. You might like it. Um, you might not. Uh, that's okay. I mean, I've had folks come to me and say things. What well, I was say? saying, if it doesn't do it for you, it doesn't do it for you. Just because it might do it for your partner doesn't mean it does it for you. And it's good to try, but you kind of can't force it, you know what I mean, to, to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh, the food metaphor is such a good one. It's like going to the buffet together, right? And your partner may choose those items over there on the left end of the buffet you might choose the ones in the middle or on the right and you can both enjoy all of that together you know you don't have to make yourself enjoy what your partner is enjoying to enjoy the experience together right i was just looking over some some literature this morning that i have kind of scattered around on my desk and um Peggy Kleinplatz, right? She's just this great author. She writes about optimal sexuality. And um, one of her quotes is, the work of sex therapy uh, may entail helping make the relationship safe enough to enable individuals involved to be emotionally naked and take risks involved in being vulnerable. 
So it's very scary for people when they come in because if they talk about erotic fantasy, sexual fantasy, part of what happens is they're worried that their partner's going to judge them, right? That can be scary. So um, I want everybody to just kind of understand that it's important to be empathic and, you know, don't, don't yuck your partner's yum, right? <laughs> if something's yummy for your partner, don't yuck it up. You can just appreciate that. So, um, yeah. All right, I'm going to move on to the next one. Uh, <laughs> so another, fant another fantasy out there, another myth out there that isn't true is this idea that people think sex is for my partner. You know, I, it's not for me. Or, or sex is for men, you know, because good girls don't, right? I think we've kind of touched on this one before. So really, really, really what I want to say to people is sexual health is part of optimal health, including mental health, physical health. You know, they've done these experiments, um, or sorry, studies, where they followed people over 50 plus years. And when people are intimate with their partners, right, this is the idea of family systems and connecting with your spouse, long-term partner, you know, people's health, they live longer, they're healthier, um, they have better sleep, better heart health, better, uh, just all of that stuff. So connecting, you know, is, is um, sex important? Sex is part of intimacy. It's not all of intimacy, right? Intimacy also includes just talking, spending time, being romantic, uh, sharing yourself. So that's, that's important to know that um, we can all, everyone <clears throat> can have access to how beautiful it can be to, to be sexual and help your own health with your partner, with yourself. You know, I, I stumbled on this. Actually, my husband said this the other day. This was interesting. He reminded me of the phrase, <clears throat> excuse me, erotic intelligence. Interesting. EI. Yeah, yeah, right. So, you know, right, there's emotional intelligence, social intelligence, artistic, intellectual intelligence. <clears throat> but there's also erotic intelligence, and I think that's good for our health. And when we use the word erotic, what I mean is just pleasure, right? Access to pleasure. Erotic, you know, you can eat a delicious meal, and that can be erotic because it's so pleasurable. Um, and then there's this myth around penetrative sex is the gold standard. So I don't want people to focus on that. I want them to focus on pleasure. All right. So moving right along here, uh, the fourth myth I wanted to talk about is this idea that people believe sometimes that there is no place for erotic literature, films, or devices slash toys in my partnered relationship. Well, in fact, 80% in some of these studies, 80% of people use toys, vibrators, devices for pleasure. I mean, geez, we live in, right, 2000, you know, 22, 23, etc. Um, so uh, we have toys. It's so cool. I, <laughs> it's amazing. I saw, a, I saw a video the other day. I think it was on, on it must have been on TikTok. And I, I don't really love TikTok, but I peruse it on occasion. And I, and I saw one and it was something like, uh, it was a guy and he was holding his girlfriend's vibrator. And it was something along the lines of when you realize you can work together instead of working against each other. And it was like he had, it clicked in his brain that he can he can also use a vibrator to bring pleasure to his girlfriend. And it was just like the the Rocky oh. theme song of like, you know, when Rocky's like running up to the top of the stairs. <laughs> like that was the sure. That was the, sure. <laughs> that was the, the music, that, the audio that was That's with it. And great. I thought it was so funny. Dun, dun, da, da, dun, yeah. da, da, dun, da, da, dun, 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 I thought it was so oh, yeah, clever. Right. And the was, crowd, I it was crowd goes wild. 
Oh, that's really great. I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, exactly. So sort of being in it together and focusing on pleasure and not necessarily making it a competition or, you know, some, whether something's right or wrong, as long as both people are in agreement, okay with it, everybody seems happy, great. And if you're not, communicate that to your partner. If something's making you uncomfortable or doesn't feel good, let your partner know. You know, that's okay. Try not to take it personally. Be curious, right? Not furious. Inquire what's going on with your partner. Um, but speaking of, of toys, uh, smittenkittenonline.com, um, really great website for wonderful uh, toys and devices that are sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, that are... Um, sort of vetted and, you know, safe materials. and Because and you want to make sure you're so using the safest silicone. toys and everything possible, especially if, if you're using it for penetrative stuff mm-hmm. and you're putting it. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and make sure to, you know, clean them properly, wash them properly, yeah, all that stuff. So, um, But Smitten Kitten Online, really great resource for so many, so, so much of that stuff. Um, and then the... The fifth myth I wanted to touch on today is the idea that um, because I'm a survivor of sexual abuse, one might say, I'm damaged sexually. So I want to be so mindful for people who have experienced that. I do work with lots of clients who have had that happen. And um, it's not okay uh, that, you know, that this has happened to them. Um, You know, hopefully they're safe now. And it is, I want folks to know that, of course, that it's a very important part of what, of their history, and it's affected them and it's shaped them. Um, And people move forward. They certainly can move forward because, you know, uh, sexual abuse in that way is sort of, it's a loss of of what, um, it's a loss of ourselves and and what we would imagine that we would want for ourselves in terms of safety and you know a a schema of safety in the world Um, and and uh, what I want folks to understand is that they can adapt and develop you know we can move past it in fact you know when difficult things happen to people um, this is how we develop ourselves this is how we can um, manage again. I never want this for people. It's just it makes me so upset to hear when abuse has happened. Um, but there is hope, and and people can take care and you know get the the support that they need. Maybe it's therapy. Maybe it's uh, family relationships. You know, relationship a very safe relationship with a, a new partner. Um, and are they still affected by trauma? Sometimes yes, uh, of course, but. Um, you know, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder versus acute stress disorder um, doesn't happen as often as we think. I mean, humans are very resilient. Does it happen? Absolutely. You know, do people have panic attacks and and still ruminate and, and have thoughts of what happened? Of course, it's it's very normal in terms of experiencing trauma. But I want people to know that there's hope and we can heal and develop ourselves and, and be able to move forward. So um, those are some of the myths I thought I'd kind of talk about today. Uh, We're going to be talking more about it in our next podcast. And um, yeah, so so any thoughts, Vicki, or uh, anything that you want to kind of say or is it time for us to kind of wrap up? Yeah, we can wrap up. But I just just love when we do these myth-busting ones because I think it's important that 
you know, if one person has this thought, multiple people probably have the thought. So I think it's good to, it's oh. always good to go through and, and validate that you're not the only one that feels a certain way, but that there's, you know, not that there's hope. Mm-hmm. That sounds a little dramatic, but that, <laughs> that it's, it's easy to work through it. So. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I think hope is a great uh, word because when people are coming into the process, that oftentimes they do feel fearful, but there's, there's always a smidgen of hope, and I want to build on that for people uh, because really you can change things in a relationship on a dime. I mean, if... If someone understands that, for example, once there's been an affair, you know, there can be the healing and the work of it and all of that. And at some point, if your partner is really showing you that they are dedicated and they are, you know, now doing things very differently, you know, the person who who is hurting, um, the one who hasn't had the affair, you know, they can, believe it or not, begin to let go. They can drop it, essentially. And move forward. Uh, Because if we don't drop it and we hang on to uh, the stuff that that is so hurtful, um, even though our partner is doing things differently, then we're living in the past as opposed to being in the moment, being in the present and being more present-oriented and future-oriented, if that makes sense. So lots of hope. I'm doing a lot of... A lot of that stuff, you know, trying not to pathologize, looking at how, yes, we look back at attachment and how we attach, but, but the developmental model is so important, how we develop, you know, Ellen, Ellen Bader, um, the Bader-Pearson model of, of developmental uh, couple therapy is a big deal, and, and it works. So as we develop, we develop ourselves individually and in the relationship, you know, we have the I, I, and we create a we, and, and it's just oof, all the parts of it. When I see it happen and people, you know, really grow and differentiate, it's just a beautiful thing to watch. So thanks so much, everybody, for joining us here today. Really appreciate it. If you are interested, feel free to call the office at 508-990-9909. Feel free to check us out on Facebook at the Sex and Couples Therapist. On Instagram, look for the Happy Ending Therapist. The website is www.sexandcouplestherapy.com. And thanks again for joining us. Catch you next time. Ciao for now.